It is the collective, compartmentalized, but integrating to the whole of fields of genomics, epigenomics, transcriptomics, proteomics, metabolomics, hormonomics, immunomodulomics, and microbiomics. These individual areas and their complexity allows the personalization because they all integrate together. And we can then introduce the stacking of therapies to meet the individual components of the dysfunction that is creating the disease. Welcome to the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. This podcast is your resource for a scientific-based discussion of all things cancer and beyond from a natural, holistic, and integrative perspective. It's time to teach the body how to heal. So here we go. Personalized medicine is the future that is available today. Super excited to be back with you. You know, <clears throat> I was talking to my producer the other day. Andres is standing right there on the piano, going to cut us a little tune. Actually, he's not, but uh, he, he could. He plays guitar. Um, and we, we came up with the idea because I was recently um, interviewed on Fox News, and I wanted to talk about that and expand on it because it's important as it relates to the concept of personalized medicine. Because when you look at the interview there, the interview was talking more about pharmacological conventional medicine. And so I don't want that interview to confuse what I am, who I am, and where I believe medicine is going and where it needs to go. But there was an opportunity here to expand the scope. There was an opportunity here to reach across the aisle because after all, I am a conventional doctor, MD, but I'm also an MD homeopath. I've been in this integrative arena since 2006. In fact, I would say I've learned more about what it means to be a physician, what it means to be a doctor, what it means to practice medicine in the last almost you know 17 years than everything before that, whether that would be you know my undergraduate, medical school, residency, etc. So again, I was highlighted recently on Fox News just this past week. And you can check that out over at the drgoodyear.com website. Of course, we're talking about it here on the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. So share this with everybody. And you'll find this on the uh, in the news section on the website. But they asked me to comment and review two articles. And one article was dealing with Asamit. Osimertinib. Osimertinib. Okay, so we just got to stop here for a second. Osimertinib. I don't know who comes up with the names of drugs, but I think we need to return to the tar and feather days because whoever comes up with the names of these drugs, they clearly intend them not to be pronounceable or even understandable. But anyways, so just I digressed a little bit there. But osimertinib, and they, they wanted me to comment on this because this was a drug in, in this uh, study that they looked at in relationship to lung cancer in patients receiving surgery. And this, this particular drug, it is what would be classified as a targeted therapy. And it specifically it is a oral by mouth epidermal growth factor kinase inhibitor. And I'll touch on that in a second. And the general questions they wanted us there, wanted me to answer was, you know, what's the general thoughts? Am I surprised by the effectiveness of this uh, drug in the study? And what is its attribute that is its effectiveness? And then anything important that, you know, people should know about the drug. The second was, again, here's another drug intended to not be pronounced correctly. Uh, ribociclib, ribociclib, ribo, uh, however you want to pronounce it. Again, tar and feather. Um, and they wanted, and so this article looked at this drug in the treatment of estrogen receptor positive, HER2 negative early breast cancer patients. Now, this particular drug, ribociclib, it's an oral selective, what's called cyclin dependent kinase inhib inhibitor. And again, they wanted me to go through those, you know, general thoughts, effectiveness, attribute of the effectiveness, and anything important about the drug. So, the question would be, wow, this is this is straight up conventional. Why would you agree to this conversation? Well, because I was born out of conventional, but 
my life in the professional world, I migrated to the integrative arena. And, and you know, because of what's happened over the last three years as it relates to the pandemic, more and more physicians are exploring the concept of, wow, medicine is meant to be something different. Medicine is meant to be something more. And so for me, it's not just people that are in the medical field, but also patients, patients with cancer, patients at risk for cancer, because of course, what has happened over the last three years is changing the framework. It's changing it's changing the landscape of what is cancer and where is it going. And so I wanted to not just focus on the straight up conventional, but actually reach across the aisle and, and counter that this is not just conventional, but it has a clear natural holistic and integrative approach. Absolutely, it reaches across the aisle, but it's led by the natural holistic and integrative movement. Now, there are those out there that seek to hijack words, hijack history, rewrite it. And that's why I wanted to touch base in this uh, podcast here as it relates to that interview, because this is the concept of personalized medicine. And this is the future of medicine. This is what we practice at Brio Medical. This is what I'm an advocate for. It's the customized, personalized approach to medicine. And honestly, that's what it means to be a physician, the treatment of that person that's in front of you. So what is personalized medicine? I think that's a great way to start as we expand on that interview. And I'll touch on the specifics of that interview in a moment. With the word personalized, you, you know me, I'm kind of a, a nerd as it relates to, um, to words. In fact, a good friend of mine, the CEO of... Uh, customized peptide company, Neo7 Biosciences. John Gottenzaro, he sent me a, a text one morning and I responded to him. I said, John, you know, we're just nerds, right? And he said, absolutely. <laughs> and the president piped back in. She said, yes, I can attest you are both nerds. But anyways, personalized, it means pertaining to a person, not person in the masses, but a unique person, an individualized person. Now, when we look at medicine, so that's personalized, and then medicine, medicine comes from the Latin word meaning medicina, so it's a direct correlation, and that literally means the healing art, a remedy, a treatment. And when you look at a healing art that is medicine, that really ties in beautifully to the word physician in Hebrew, rafe. It literally means healer to heal. So you see how these words, they, they all tie together. And it's interesting because nobody went out there and worked to tie them together. It's just these word origins, they themselves tie together. Now, personalized medicine, you're going you're to hear more and more about this. It's, it's a relatively new phenomenon in the conventional literature. That is conventional being what most would consider, you know, mainstream standard of care medicine. Uh, but you may also hear it as it relates to individualized or precision, precision-based. Now, precision, that word literally means the uh, elimination of non-essential elements. Precision med medicine is targeting the right treatment in the right person at the right time. I've seen it described. But I would add it's the right pathways, the right dosing, the right combination, sequencing, the right therapy stacking. And to do this, we have to be accurate in what we're doing. We can aim and miss the target. We can shoot 50 times, but not be accurate. We can target a hundred different pathways, but not be accurate. And accuracy means the conformity to truth. And the truth is the heart of the matter. And we need to be accurate in targeting in what we're doing. So hit it right in the bullseye. So when we're targeting these pathways, and, and particularly when it relates to these studies, these two drugs, looking at these pathways, EGF, and then looking at the um, ERPR HER2 negative breast cancer, these drugs are targeting and they're being accurate in very specific ways. And as I mentioned, there is a, there is a I believe, a kind of concert, uh, you know, targeted effort to hijack 
what personalized medicine means. There was a 2019 article entitled 20 Years with Personalized Medicine, Past, Present, and Future of Individualized Pharmaco Pharmacotherapy. It was published in Oncologist. And I'll, I'll read a couple quotes here. Quote, personalized medicine arises out of the idea of improving and individualizing pharmacotherapy. This concept has spread to most areas of our healthcare system and today greatly influences the way we implement initiatives related to diagnosis, prevention, and treatment. When it comes to pharmacotherapy, we have learned that one size does not fit all. And 20 years ago, Langrith and Walthals named the efforts of individualizing therapy, which they called personalized medicine. Now, the reason why I read that quote was because they are bringing pharmacotherapy into the concept of personalized medicine, of which its origin is not there. They're just adding it in. They're implanting. They're trying to graft it. So since that is the uh, movement of conventional medicine, what I want to do is provide clarity. And that's really what this podcast was. You know, we talked about doing a flash podcast as it relates to the topic here. But for me, it, it became much more of a, a larger scope process in this podcast. And so here what they're doing, they're inserting words, they're redefining, rewriting, and repurposing what personalized medicine is. They said this term is, again, another quote, this term has acquired strong competition from individualized and precision medicine. Those are the different terms during the last five to 10 years, but the, this idea will survive, that is personalized medicine, and the efforts in relation to reaching the proclaimed goal, of targeting, uh, proclaimed goal of targeting drugs for each unique genetic profile will continue with increased pace in the decades above. So again, they're bringing in that pharmacotherapy, that drug. And again, look back at the word origin of the word drug. It literally means poison. Uh, it's opiates, narcotics, potions. There's not good historical connotation for that word drug, but yet here it's openly used. Now, I do like the word targeting. That's a bullseye, um, and, and that's really what's, um, what's going on here. And I, I always tell people to recognize that I'm not anti-conventional medicine. I am born out of that movement and education, but the way it's used broad-based across the board is, is I think, misusing it. If you break a hip, you know, surger, surgical, surgical repair of that hip fracture is imperative. I, I really think that a lot in the conventional world think we just advocate for taking a vitamin D, which is absurd. Of course, vitamin D can help you heal, right? But you need to surgically repair that hip. But to use it in the way that it's being used across the board, trying to treat the masses rather than individual, I think is where it falls flat. Again, they said that the current pharmacotherapy was a uh, failed as a one-size-fits-all approach. And in fact, they quote uh, some statistic here saying that roughly 50 to 70 percent of all patients fail. So 50 to 70 percent of patients succeed with this one-size-fits-all approach, which means turn that on its head, 50 to 30 percent or 30 to 50 percent fail. Now, think about those odds for a second. You go into your doctor with cancer. Your doctor says, hey, these, these therapies, they're to treat the masses, which they are. Protocol medicine, just recipe, not individualized. You have a 50 to 30% success rate or, or failure rate or a 50 to 70% success rate. So let me repeat that just because of my fumbling of words this morning. You have a success rate of 50 to 70% with this protocol-driven, one-size-fits-all approach to your treatment of cancer. Or... Restated, you have a 30 to 50% failure rate. This is your captain speaking. Welcome to your flight. We'll be, we're going to be cruising at 39,000 feet to Miami, Florida. And unfortunately, we only have a 30 to 50% success rate of getting there on time or at all. Uh, who's going to be staying on that airplane? There's going to be a mass exit. Yet what's happened is this has become what has been accepted as medicine. This is what's been accepted as the standard operating procedure for the conventional approach to medicine. It doesn't mean we can't have good things there, and we do. Targeted things that we do, and that's what I talked about in these studies. But we have to recognize that they have a role, not the total role. So what we're seeing is we're, we're witnessing a, a shift, a paradigm, 
And, and that's a standard pattern of thought or practice. And this is happening right before our eyes. Honestly, in a little bit of a way, it's, it's a theft of ideas. You know, when you look at integrative medicine, it's been on the front of this personalized movement for a long time. I mean, long time. Hippocrates, 460 to 377 BC is, was his lifespan. It's also been connected to Native American culture and medicine, the African Sognoma culture, the shamans of Northern Europe, Australian Aborigines, the Ayurvedic doctors of India, acupuncturists of China and traditional Chinese medicine, herbal doctors of Tibet. All of these have been involved in this integrative movement, this personalized approach to healing. That wasn't called medicine back then, it was called healing. And really what we have in this concept, these competing ideas, is the last hundred years of the one-size-fits-all approach, treat the masses to treat the individual, versus now what is this new movement, this new revolution, if you will, of personalized medicine. But it's not new. So let's touch on the one-size-fits-all approach, because I really think it kind of has its origins in um, about the beginning of the 20th century, a gentleman by the name of Paul Ehrlich, E-H-R-L-I-C-H, he was a Nobel Prize winning German physician and scientist, and he worked in a broad area of medical fields, hematology, immunology, and antimicrobial therapies. In fact, he brought us the treatment of disease with chemicals. He was the first to propose a treatment that was very effective that wasn't just mercury in, in the treatment of neurosyphilis. And again, looking at disease, he said, we can treat this with chemicals. Now, unfortunately, this use of the chemicals to treat disease born to the use of chemicals for warfare and so on and so forth. And I've touched on that in other podcasts, for example, the unholy trinity. So I encourage you to check that out. But he also brought us, that is Paul Ehrlich, a magic bullet theory. This is the operating idea, I believe, that really sits behind the one size fits all paradigm of the last hundred years of medicine. And, and this magic bullet theory is that there's a magic bullet of causation of disease and a magic bullet in treatment. Now, his original idea of magic bullet therapy, therapy was looking at the immune system. He was a really interesting guy. And if you want to read some, um, you know, go back and read some of the historical context in him. He, he was a brilliant, brilliant guy. And he was coming up with some incredible very accurate ideas without the ability to see them through the microscope and without any awareness of current evidence supporting it. But this magic bullet idea was born out of really antibodies, the concept that there's one immune molecule that can target and provide that magic bullet. But that bore and basically replicated itself into the practice of medicine. Genetics and cause of disease, cause of cancer, the one magic drug, the one magic surgery to treat the disease. It has permeated throughout conventional medicine the last hundred years. Now, beyond the you know, use of chemicals beyond, for disease, beyond the magic bullet theory, he also brought us a couple different interesting words. Toxins. Okay kind of fits in with that magic bullet, but then chemotherapy. Now, not here in the context of treatment for cancer, but the treatment of disease with chemicals, chemotherapy. Now, it's become known today as chemotherapy predominantly as it relates to cancer treatment, but understand in his day, the origin meant all chemicals using to treat disease. So he was treating the person through the masses, so the focus was on the masses, and to do that, then he would treat the person, the individual person. So a little bit of things gotten turned up on its head. Now contrast this one-size-fits-all approach with personalized. Now this concept of personalized medicine really from outside of the practice, as I mentioned with Hippocrates and the, the many different uh, healers of those different cultures and times, it was first coined in 1999. There was a Wall Street Journal article entitled New Era of Personalized Medicine, Targeting Drugs for Each Unique Genetic Profile. Again, it was written in 1999. It was then picked up and republished by the journal uh, called The Oncologist, <clears throat> and also too in 1999. And again, what they were doing is they were inserting into that idea of what personalized medicine is, 
you know, the concept of pharma, pharmaceuticals, pharmacals, you know, drugs. And so trying to redefine it, um, some would say hijack it, some would say, you know, change the direction and control the narrative there. Now, instead of the one-size-fits-all approach, which is treating the masses, and in that they hope to treat the individual, yet 30 to 50% fail, here the approach is treat the individual. And in that, as those individuals collect and connect, you treat the masses. So it's a very different concept. Again, it, it turns the concept on the head. It turns the focus on its head. I believe the focus on the masses has allowed doctors in medicine to have significant advocacy confusion because our advocacy is not to those who provide the treatment to the masses. It's to the one. But the one becomes two. The two become four. The four becomes eight and so on and so forth. Our advocacy is to the patient. And when we restore that advocacy, then that's going to be where we restore the winds to the sails of medicine. But I, I believe it's through personalized medicine. Now, this one-size-fits-all approach was really, um, it was rejected. And some of it began with uh, a, man, a man by the name of Christian Smuts in 1926, wrote a book called Holism and Evolution. Now, his idea here was that that systems, whether biological or non-biological, they're best served and evaluated through the focus of the parts uh, benefiting the whole. At the time, there was everything was compartmentalized, and he called it reductionism. Everything was compartmentalized, yet nothing connected for the purpose of the whole, whether that was education, philosophy, business. We had everything compartmentalized. Look at medicine. Everything is compartmentalized. And last time you check, none of those compartments discuss the patient with each other. I mean, I've been getting a message from a from a, a, a physician trying to connect with me, and I've called the and left two voicemails. No connection back. So, you know, there now some of it's just life, right? Some of it's just connecting because of the busyness of life. But here the, the individual parts must connect together for the purpose of the whole, and the whole is the patient. Even before Christian Smuts, though, Aristotle said the whole is more than the sum of the parts, meaning the individual parts only exist to serve and for the purpose of the whole. And again, in con contrast, when you look at med medical education, everything is compartmentalized. Everything is reductionist. And what happens is, is if that then reconnected, then that would be fine, but it doesn't. And that's the problem is that disconnect, that compartmentalization stays compartmentalized. It doesn't restore its connection to the whole. And there was an article I wrote that's going to get published on um, the personal brand website. So at, at drgoodger.com. So check that out. I want to read just a few things from that because I think um, these words really highlight it well. Quote, the idea of reduction compartmentalization was that systems are best studied through their compartments or individual parts instead of the top-down, almost unrelated perspective and how things in the biological versus non-biological were constructed and related to each other. Christian Smuts was able to see the disconnect where most were blind in that time. In contrast, Christian Smuts discarded the compartmentalization, the top-down view, and pursued the bottom-up approach, in which the whole transcends the individual parts. The individual parts support and point to the whole. His idea was that systems, whether biological or not, are best served and evaluated by focusing on those parts, but only in their connection to the whole and their benefit to the whole. The whole is more important than the individual parts. The individual parts only exist to serve the whole. You may go, well, Dr. Goodyear, what's the relevance here? Well, if you have a tumor and you want to shrink and eliminate that tumor, and you do, but in the process you destroy the immune system, that is a compartmentalized approach. That is a reductionist approach. So by eliminating that tumor, you've now set the stage to the damage to the immune system to let the cancer spread. That is to say you're cutting off your nose to spite your face there is... Uh, putting it mildly. The field of multiomics research and its clinical application, it's the future of personalized medicine, precision cancer care, and it's available today.
it's born on the same revolution from a similar uh, rejection of the reductionism, the top-down compartmentalized approach that has permeated and dominated medicine the last hundred years, very similar to Christian Smut's time and culture. This is a medical revolution that we're seeing. It's a new paradigm that's forming. And I wanted to provide context today because you know, these studies, though they're, I think, important and relevant to our patients at Brio, but relevant to all patients with cancer, but we have to recognize that the origin of personalized medicine, precision medicine, is not this conventional arena. It's great that they're coming on board, but this origin is in the natural, holistic, and integrative movement. And let me say this, the word integrative in Latin is integrationum, it literally means to renew or to make whole. Again, you can't make this stuff up. These words just, they all connect. So the field of multiomics provides a stark contrast, almost paradoxical one that is opposite to the one-size-fits-all approach, the cookie-cutter approach, which, to- which dominates that top-down, compartmentalized, conventional approach of the last hundred years. Instead, a holistic approach is one that is going to manifest itself in the multiomics, I'll touch on that in just a second, provides a non-compartmentalized, bottom-up, holistic approach to healing. Now, holistic medicine, actually, if you look at this in PubMed, it's first referenced in 1950. In the Europe version of PubMed, interestingly enough, first mentioned in 1933. So you can look at PubMed in the U.S. and look at PubMed in Europe. Uh, Going to be different. Makes you wonder. Doesn't make you wonder. I think you're just, you're critically thinking. Uh, and, and holistic actually is from the Greek word meaning holos, H-O-L-O-S. And it literally means whole, W-H-O-L. And if you want to um, get get a, a very interesting uh, take, there have been some incredibly great debates and great maybe being a little bit facetious on whether whole with an H or whole with a W-H is the correct you know, correct uh, writing of it, correct uh, spelling of it. So, uh, again, I admit it, I'm a nerd, sorry. Um, but the word whole means uninjured, in good health, safe. That's what a word, that's what, what the word means. And so when you look at what medicine should be, it should be one where we don't injure, one where we provide good health for our patients, don't destroy it, and one where patients can be safe. And when you look at what a lot of medicine has become, ooh, injury, poor health, damage, and not safe. Remember, integrative is to make whole. So there was, you know, uh, Christian Smuts, but then Watts, Watson and Crick in 1954, they discovered, a lot of people think that they discovered DNA. They didn't. They discovered the double helix structure of DNA. And I actually wrote a paper on this back in undergraduate in my technical writing days. And uh, so it brings back some fond memories about Watson and Crick. Great book that they, uh, that they wrote about that discovery, the process. And then more recent, the Human Genome Project, 1990-2003. So what we're seeing here is from the movement of you know, Christian Smuts, but before that beginning with Aristotle, looking at Watson and Crick, the Human Genome Project, we see this kind of evolution, this growth of personalized medicine. But it's honestly, it's a restoration because Aristotle, Hippocrates, they were practicing natural, holistic, and and, and integrated medicine at that point, just holistic, but they were integrating the principles of what we do in integrated medicine today, but doing so for the personal patient. What has happened in medicine is we got away from that and we were treating the masses. We also had advocacy confusion. But these two articles point how there are conventional drugs out there, pharmacotherapy, that are working under the principle that is working back towards the origin of personalized medicine, going way back to the beginning with people like Hippocrates. That was born out of the concept birth from Aristotle. So what are my thoughts on attribution, effectiveness, or other insights as it relates to those two drugs and lung cancer and surgery and breast cancer? Well, first, talk about the epidermal growth factor kinase inhibitor. 
that was related to lung cancer and surgery. So ju just some notes on epidermal growth factor, or EGF. It's a category, it is within the broader category of tyrosine kinases, which also includes platelet-derived growth factors, fibroblast growth factors, insulin growth factor, vascular endothelial growth factor, and all of these uh, tyrosine kinases, they play important roles in proliferation, that's growth, angiogenesis, that's blood vessel supply growth, migration, also known as epithelial to mesenchymal transition, adhesion, invasion, and apoptosis. So all of these are critical steps as it relates to cancer, whether regulating it, controlling it, or dysregulating it and allow its growth. Tyrosine kinase hyperactivation is present in approximately 50%, 45% of all cancer types. So it's a very common uh, component of cancer. And when you look at different types of cancer, these uh, epidermal growth factor is activated in 80 to 100% of head and neck cancers, 50% of glioblastomas, it's a brain tumor, 40% of lung adenocarcinoma, particularly non-small cell lung cancer, which is in this particular study, and then 30% of epithelial origin cancers. Again, it's under the broader concept of tyrosine kinases. And when you look at epidermal growth factor, that's the ligand, that's the trigger, that's the key, the 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 uh, door, if you will, the key, the lock to turn is the receptor, epidermal growth factor receptor. Now, what's really interesting, when you look at natural inhibitors of tyrosine kinases, or if you look at uh, natural inhibitors of EGFR, which is the, the receptor, the lock of the ligand that's EGF, natural inhibitors here in this article, they were focusing on the drug, the one that you can't pronounce. But here, natural inhibitors include, based on the evidence, curcumin, quercetin, melatonin, artesanate. Natural therapies, holistic therapies, integrative therapies that can actually work in concert with this concept that this article was focusing on. And I think it's really important to understand, too, because cancer is referred to as a wound that does not heal. And if you're doing surgery, you're advocate, you're, you're creating a wound in the environment of a wound that doesn't heal. So it's always, always need to step forward with caution when you rush to the knife. You know, check out the podcast on surgery, as I've talked about, as it relates to the unholy trinity. Benjamin Rush said, rush to the knife. Well, if you rush to the knife, you're rushing to aggravate a wound that doesn't heal. So when you look at EGFR. So if you're activating the receptor via that ligand EGF, it's going to promote growth. It's going to promote blood vessel supply growth. It's going to promote migration. It's going to promote invasion, and it's going to inhibit how cancer cells can be destroyed. So beyond just those few that I mentioned, EGCG, resveratrol, Panax ginseng, which is a hot adaptogenic herb, astragalus, a very common immunostimulant, but here you can actually even the research shows that with vitamin C, with IV vitamin C and the uh, oral dose, excuse me, with the low dose form of methotrexate, which is a chemotherapy, you can actually downregulate the EGFR. So you can downregulate the receptor. You know, close the door and make it so that the lock doesn't match. And then CBD. Now it needs to be really high dose with CBD. And no, that's not THC. And I know the DEA can't get that right through their head. And of course, politicians can't get that right either. But CBD doesn't get you high. But born out of the 40s and 50s, as it relates to drugs, that is, you know, uh, illicit drugs, um, everybody still looks at uh, CBD as if it's medical cannabis, as if it's you're smoking a doobie. But CBD has no psychogenic activity at all. It is an incredible anti-inflammatory, and it's incredible as it relates to cancer. The second article looked at selective cyclin-dependent kinases, or CDK4-6 inhibitors. And again, the drug there. Now, cyclin-dependent kinases, particularly here 4 and 6, they play a key role in cell cycle progression from the um, G1 to S phase. If you go back to... Um, you know, junior high or elementary, even looking at the biology, the interphase and mitosis, you go from the G1 is the growth phase, the gap phase that goes into the synthesis phase as you're getting ready to, you know, go through mitosis and have one cell become two. 
this upregulated expression and activity of CDK4 and 6, it bypasses a, a critical regulatory step, and this promotes the G1 to S phase in the interphase, preparing the cell for mitosis and thus cell duplication. Think of cancer, that's cell growth, right? Hyperactive CDK4-6 promotes tumor genesis. It promotes carcinogenesis. This is the genesis of tumor growth. More, the CDK4 CDK and 6, it promotes distant metastasis. And this is a, cru uh, a crucial and critical step in cancer because when cancer is spread, that's the reason for 90% of morbid morbidity and mortality as it relates to cancer. So in essence, when you inhibit CDK4 and 6, what you're doing is you're creating a cell cycle arrest. You're keeping one cell from growing into two. Now, some of this, you can see how the drugs with their very targeted, aggressive, obstructionary approach can really have a huge negative side effect. Because if, if you're inhibiting cell cycle arrest, where one cell is becoming two, that's a normal part of the day-to-day -day healing process of the body. And so in turn, that's why you get a lot of side effects. That's why a lot of the you know, chemotherapy here with these targeted therapies, you can see a lot of GI side effects because there's rapid growth going on in the gut. See, cancer does not create really anything new. It just takes what there and it takes it takes what is there and it adulterates it. It misuses it. It corrupts it. So when you lift weights to build muscle, you're, you're, you're actually breaking your muscle down to building it back stronger. But cancer just takes that pathway, P13K, AKT, mTOR pathway, and it says, I can use this. I can grow. Just as cancer can evade the immune system, that's beneficial to healthy cells to say, hey, immune system, don't attack me. I'm you. I'm your friend. And cancer can take that and hijack it and use it for its benefit and the body's detriment. So it's interesting when you look at this G1S cell cycle modification that we're talking about here in the second study, the second drug, of which is difficult to pronounce, it's found in up to 73% of cancer types. And this was from an article of Molecular Cancer Therapy back in 2016. Now, what's interesting when you look at the CD, CDK4 and 6, it also involves connection with other signals here, cyclin D. And so I wanted to touch on a little bit on this because vitamin C is involved in the treatment here. And the reason why vitamin C, I think, is so important is because vitamin C is kind of the flagship of integrative medicine. So I would put it right there in the flagship with personalized medicine. Of course, I've talked about, as in other areas, about the the oral or by, by mouth dosing of vitamin C as it compares to IV and, and the difference there because oral vitamin C will never achieve a therapeutic level as it relates to cancer. Never. It's only antioxidative. But in the IV form, you can achieve a pro-oxidative anti-cancer form. But there's a principle here called a hormetic response, H-O-R-M-E-T-I-C. And that word hormesis it's uh, commonly defined as a beneficial or stimulatory effect caused by exposure to low doses of an agent known to be toxic at higher doses. It's basically a you know, biphasic or different phasic dose-response relationship characterized by dose, whether low or high. And that word's derived from the Greek, and it means to excite. First proposed in 1943, but even going back into the 1880s, um, where it was first described as a concept, but not with the word. This concept of hormesis or hormetic response, here I'm talking about vitamin C, and this also applies to these drugs, it is widespread in effect, but it is very little understood as a phenomenon amongst practicing doctors. So let me describe why this hormesis is important here. And again, this is within the context of personalized medicine. There's an article from 2020 entitled Enhance Anti-Cancer Effect of Adding Magnesium to Vitamin C Therapy Inhibition of a Hormetic Response by SVC2, SVCT-2 Activation. Um, and this, again, was published in 2020. That's sodium, sodium vitamin C dependent transporter. Cells with low sodium vitamin C transporter expression show a hormetic response to low dose of ascorbic acid. So let me explain what that means here. When cancer cells express low sodium vitamin C dependent transporter type 2, vitamin C, even given IV, 
can actually have a hormetic response where it can actually promote the growth of that cancer. You heard me correct. But where high SVCT-2 or sodium vitamin C dependent transporters expressed in a high level in the cancer cells, vitamin C actually has a destructive process in that cancer cell. But here's the stacking. Here's the personalized. Ascorbic acid treatment with magnesium supplementation provides a more effective anti-cancer therapy than ascorbic acid alone. Now, why would I say that? Well, the magnesium improves the sensitivity of that sodium-dependent vitamin C transporter. See, low cellular expression of the sodium-dependent vitamin C transporter of the family type 2, the vitamin C is going to propagate the cancer's growth. But when a low dose of vitamin C was delivered into these cancer cells, again, it promoted the growth of it. When you give the magnesium, it increased the uptake of the vitamin C, and it's actually going to turn around and actually behave more as if the vitamin C transporters are high. So the magnesium and vitamin C in low transporter expression in cancer cells is going to act as if the vitamin C and the transporters are high, which is going to kill the cancer cells. But without the magnesium and with low vitamin C, that is even IV and low transporters, you're going to see a potential pro-growth effect. So that's what hormetic means. It means giving a therapy at the right time, the right dose, and the right mechanism of action to match the right pathway here to kill cancer cells, not, in it, not to inadvertently support their growth. And here, adding magnesium, stacking it with vitamin C, IV, really helps to promote and optimize the cancer-killing effects. And just going down rabbit holes here, I gave a lecture in 2022 talking about this concept where when you're giving vitamin C, you can actually downregulate the expression of the sodium-vitamin C-dependent transporters, and this shifts to then glucose transporters. But So we, we don't want to keep going down rabbit holes because we do have time limitations. But the point here is personalized medicine is understanding the integrative capacity of what's happening here. It's important, and we can stack these therapies together, whether that be natural to natural, like magnesium and vitamin C, or that can be integrative of natural therapies with conventional, like these two drugs combined with curcumin and quercetin or vitamin C. See, the future of personalized medicine is multiomics. It is the collective, compartmentalized, but integrating to the whole of fields of genomics, epigenomics, transcriptomics, proteomics, metabolomics, hormonomics, immunomodulomics, and microbiomics. These individual areas and their complexity allows the personalization because they all integrate together. And we can then introduce the stacking of therapies to meet the individual components of the dysfunction that is creating the disease. See, stacking therapies perfectly integrate within the context of the integrative movement. The historical and contextual meaning of the words integrative, or as I mentioned, Latin, integrationum, they're from Latin and French. The more recent historical context here is of the French, which means the act of bringing together for the parts of the whole. In the more ancient context, the Latin word, as I mentioned before several times now, integrationum, it means renewal, restoration, make whole, renew, and begin again. Those are awesome awesome words. Both definitions ascribe more to the holistic concept paradigm of personalized medicine. Now contrast that with a compartmentalized approach, which it's, it's deference to the whole. The dominant is the individual parts, and you're lucky if they connect to the whole. But that's what we've had the last hundred years. And when you look at the many holistic and integrative practitioners that augment with high-dose vitamin C, through the principles of stacking, they may or may not be using those principles. They may or may not be killing cancer cells. They may or may not be supporting cancer growth. They may or may not be supporting it right. They may or may not be providing antioxidative versus pro-oxidative effects because not understanding the science behind this personalized medicine. This is why I wanted to talk about those two studies, is to provide clarity to what is targeted 
medicine? What is personalized medicine? Yes, you can use these types of drugs, but you can also use them more holistically and then combine them and integrate them with other therapies to protect the whole. Treat individual parts to protect the whole. See, when you stack therapies together, they can be beneficial. You can stack high-dose vitamin C with water fasting, melatonin, alpha-lipoic acid, hyperthermia, hyperbaric, artemisinin, artisanate, vitamin K3, DCA, mistletoe, photodynamic therapy, photobiomodulation therapy. All of these can be stacked in sequence in combination with vitamin C for benefit to destroy cancer cells. But not all stacking is beneficial. There was a recent article highlighting how N-acetylcysteine or NAC can actually help restore sensitivity to um, a chemo, that's more an immunologic drug, called Picray. It's a P13K modifier. <clears throat> and, and so when you look at that concept, there were some people that really said, this is awesome, you give NAC and it's going to restore sensitivity of this drug to treat cancer cells. Yet it can actually provide some clear negative impacts. One of the significant pro-oxidation effects of vitamin C in cancer is the depletion of the reduced form of glutathione. And this creates a detoxification crisis within the cancer cell. And here's the beauty of holistic therapies, natural therapies. They'll target the abnormal cell here, the cancer cell, but they don't to the healthy cell. It's like a dualistic process, or really a trinity, if you will. It'll destroy the abnormal cells, heal, but it will also promote the optimal function of the healthy cell. So this article that I was speaking about in that 2022 lecture I gave, they gave high-dose vitamin C and they saw this detoxification crisis. So they said, well, we proved the positive and this killed the cancer cells. That's great. Let's come in and let's add in N-acetylcysteine and what happens. So they want to now prove the counter, the negative. And what they found is that the addition of N-acetylcysteine in conjunction with the vitamin C countered the vitamin C cancer-killing effect. It averted the detoxification crisis. Same effect was found with vitamin C and NAD in cancer cells via an energy crisis, so a very different effect. See, that's the individuality of precision medicine. That's the accuracy, the precision, the targeting, the understanding. And so that was the reason why I wanted to dive in with those studies and expand on that, reach across the aisle, but more empower you to understand that the natural, holistic, and integrative world, it comes to meet with these therapies. And that in the natural, holistic, and integrative field, if you're a practitioner, if you're a patient seeking cancer treatment or cancer prevention, you're on the front, but you're on the front that it was actually started back with Socrates and Hippocrates. We're just circling back around. So that vitamin C and NAC article was published in 2019, was entitled Targeting Cancer Vulnerabilities with High-Dose Vitamin C. And then also they found the same thing with artesanate and NAC. Artesanate killing glioblastoma cells, adding in NAC completely averted. It completely negated the artesanate destruction of the glioblastoma cells. Artesanate comes from sweet wormwood. Sweet wormwood, it is the classic treatment for malaria, but it has incredible anti-cancer properties. Now, beyond the purely holistic stacking of therapies, you can actually stack holistic with integrative or conventional and bring a truly integrative high-dose vitamin C with chemotherapy, high-dose vitamin C with radiation, with surgery, with conventional immunotherapy, with targeted therapies, with conventional hormone therapies. See, when, when conventional doctors look at vitamin C, they're looking at it through the prism of oral therapy where it's only antioxidative. But when you dose it therapeutically and you dose it pharmacokinetically and dynamically per the research and understand the hormonic principles, you're going to become pro-oxidative and it's going to augment those conventional therapies. So I hope I've been able to expand your vision on why I talked about targeted therapies from a conventional standpoint, not discounting the benefit of those. They did improve overall survival, and that's a benefit, but we can do even better. We can add in natural, holistic, and integrative approaches, integrative therapies that truly work back towards what it meant to, to actually practice personalized medicine. Aristotle, Hippocrates you know, through into the modern era, 
where now we're focusing on the multiomics future that is bringing us the personalized stacking of therapies to prevent cancer, prevent disease, to treat, to heal, to restore, to make whole, to renew. So multiomics is a rejection, a revolution against the failed paradigm of the one-size-fits-all approach of the last hundred years. Therapy stacking is a rejection against the failed paradigm of the magic bullet theory, whether causation or treatment. It's also a rejection of the concept that pharmacology is the only answer, and I think I've hit that point over and over and over again. It is personalized, integrative approach that is the future that's present today. And those two articles, I think, helped to highlight that. This paradigm of personalized medicine is really just going back to the origin. Aristotle and Hippocrates. It's a move to right the ship that's run aground and get the winds blowing again to steer those sails to restore medicine and physicians back to patient advocates. It's time to return those winds, time to return those sails, and time to return the focus to the patient. That's personalized medicine. And through that, we can treat the masses. So I encourage you to go over to the drgoodyear.com website. Check us out on every social media app you can think of, dr.goodyear on Instagram. But you can check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Getter, YouTube, uh, True Social, wherever you follow us on social media. And also check us out at Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear over on the drgoodyear.com website. Hope you enjoyed this flash podcast that turned into a big podcast. Wasn't my intention, but I think it was an opportunity to bridge the aisle, inform you, empower you to your health, to your healing. It doesn't matter if you don't have cancer, you do have cancer, you, you are concerned about cancer. This is valuable to you because you are a unique individual and we need to restore the power, the wind in your sails for personalized medicine in every aspect of your medical life with doctors, hospitals, etc. So hope this has been valuable. Check out the uh, article over at Fox News. We will talk to you next time. For more information, just like what we discussed today, I encourage you to follow us on YouTube as well as all of your favorite audio streaming platforms. And in there, we'll talk about all things related to healing, wellness, cancer, and much, much beyond because it doesn't just apply to cancer. Our goal here is to turn to healing, restore health, and promote your wellness. Whether that greatest obstacle to wellness being cancer or any other named disease, our goal is your wellness. I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear and enjoy our future podcast at Practicing with Dr. Goodyear.